and welcome. My name's Tim. My name's Dainty. And I'm Herfie Durfee. And this is Go Mode, a link to the past randomizer podcast. Um, so you guys have anything funny we can say right here? Or do, you, do you have like good like comedy stuff? No, not, not really. I don't know. I think I once well, had I once had to fight a moldorm. I mean that was kind of funny. But uh, let's table that. Let's let's we'll put that on the on the list. I'll just write. I'm gonna write moldorm on this chalkboard here. Okay. So that's one. That's a that's an idea. That's something funny. Um, what else? What's oh, what's funny? How about uh, airline food? Oh, dude, classic, <laughs> man. Right? Drag them. <laughs> That's always good for a laugh, I hear. What's the deal with those peanuts? Am yeah, I right? Really, what is the deal, guys? <laughs> they actually don't even give you peanuts anymore. It's usually like pretzels it's or stroopwafels. It's stuff. I got a snickerdoodle one time, which I thought was really a strange choice. Yo, that's Decadent. that's like the best cookie ever, though. It was good. I, I won't complain, yeah. but I was like, "Hey, why am I getting a Snickerdoodle?" That's quality. Yeah, no, I would I would be happy to receive a Snickerdoodle. Those pretzels, like a pretzel. Don't get me wrong, pretzels are fine, but it's just like the most flavorless snack that you can have. You know, mm-hmm. you could just do so much better. I would I would prefer peanuts personally. Not to go too far off topic, but just to you know finish out this airline food. Uh, when I was flying to SG Live, I was extremely surprised with how tasty and good the airline food was. Oh, it was. Was it, was, it like meal? It was like hot meals, right? Yeah, it was like a hot meal, and it it wasn't a lot, and it was obviously you know like a ready meal or whatever they serve, but it was surprisingly uh-huh. tasty, and I really enjoyed it, which I didn't think I would. Do you remember what you got? Uh, I do, but I have no idea what that will be in English, to be honest. Oh. It was kind of like traditional German food on the flight there, and on the way back, it was just some. Pasta with chicken, I think. I'm trying to remember what we had when we went for our honeymoon, when we had our European flight. And I, I remember it was, like, good. I was like, oh, yeah, it's not bad. But I, I cannot remember what it was, like, at all. Yeah. Huh. It's it's also kind of because they just give you, like, this whole menu with, like, a main course and then a little bit of salad and then some sort of dessert or whatever. Yeah. So it kind of just blends together in your head. Yeah, very school lunch-esque. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels so nutritious. Um, <laughs> All right. Yeah, I do remember the salad. Yeah, there's a little salad. Enough about flights. Let's get back to Zelda. Let's fly into our news update uh, and just try to, you know, en- enjoy this food as best you can. Um, <laughs> the, this this uh, news update food that we're going to feed you. Here comes the airplane. Oh, All God. right. <laughs> it didn't Actually, sound like an airplane. No, we sure didn't. <laughs> Uh, is, that's like uh, um, there's something really wrong with that airplane. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say to con- it, that sounded like like a kamikaze bomber, but I'm not sure if that's something you want to air. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, so let me take this opportunity, at maybe the worst point in the podcast, to humbly ask you for a five star iTunes review, please. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> okay. Uh, Rather than put this at the end, I wanted to do it at the beginning because I don't know how many people maybe tune out at the end. I know I do that with a lot of podcasts. So just before we even get into it, I just wanted to say um, if you enjoy this podcast, we would love for you to leave us a rating on iTunes. It's really helpful for us and for our clout. Uh, You know, 
people probably won't check out a podcast if it's got like two stars, you know, and if it's got five stars, then, then they probably would. So I uh, really appreciate your rating if you enjoy the show. And I also wanted to shout out um, Soda Pop 7, who left us a very kind review uh, this last week. So thank you very much for that. Um, uh, sorry now, to cut in here real yeah, quick. Soda yeah, Pop 9. Oh, it was. I'm so sorry about that. Soda Pop Nine. Yeah, don't um, get. I shorted those, you. Don't get the two yeah. mixed up. Yeah, they really yes. they get really angry about that. So so sorry about that. Soda Pop Nine is the one who left the review. So thank you very much for that. And we would love your review as well if you have not left one. So just wanted to say that real quick. Anyway, getting into the news as always. Let's start with the fall tournament. We are down to our top. Eight, and we actually have gone even a little bit beyond that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's pull out our top eight. Um, it shouldn't take too long to really go over because um, we went from 16 to 8, and you know, not even really a whole lot of matches have happened since last time we talked. But um, let's talk about what we can see here. Um, I actually am looking at this now. We're actually closer to, to our top four, aren't we? Because we've got Ninban locked into top four. Mm-hmm. Doom Tap and Act the Boker will be facing off. Um, and then it's really just Jet 082 versus P Train 24 um, to find that final round, or top four member, I guess. So, yeah, pretty much. We're, yeah. we're almost there. It's, this uh, is the home stretch. It is. Uh, it's. I don't know. I don't think there's any super crazy surprises happening here. It's really cool to see Ak um, in the top four here. Yeah, I'm very happy for him. He He's not yeah. very happy. He wants to finally be free. <laughs> but I'm sure he's still happy in a way that he's made it this far and hopefully even further. Absolutely. Yeah. So Ak, I, I have to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about Doomtap, but they sure have torn through this bracket. So um, obviously going to be a very challenging competitor for Ak. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, yeah, Jet and P-Train. Um, really cool to see P-Train in this still as well. Um, super nice guy. We've had on to talk about hovering. Um, we had a little music chat in our Discord last week that I really enjoyed. Um, so, yeah, it's cool to see that he's uh, still in it as well. Um, and then, of course, we know Ninban. That's one of those names that you've just seen in YouTube videos from, like, the very beginning of ALTTPR YouTube videos, at least for me. That's, like, a classic, classic name. Yeah, Ninban's been around for quite a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, Dante, I feel like I heard you mention some. Uh, do you have any uh, more recommendations from tournament matches that you've been able to check out? Um, lately, I actually didn't get to see the two uh, Ak and I I Yoshi matches. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know. I'm not sure which game it was. I know there was a really close game. Uh, at least one between Doom Tap and Weighty Words uh, in the top eight, and that one. I was told was definitely worth watching. Um, okay. Uh, like I said, I, unfortunately, I don't know the game number, and they did go to a full set of three. But if, if it was yesterday, it may have been game three, so that may be the one to check out. But, uh, I mean, I'll be honest, this week's been kind of a blur for me, so <laughs> I have not uh, been able to dive headfirst into uh, in, into the tournament and like keeping up with uh, each of these matches. Yeah, we've had a very weird weather week in North Carolina. It really uh, Dancy and has I been. Are both, yeah, we're both in North Carolina, but like a, a couple hours apart from each other. But we've this whole state, like it was snowing earlier, which is very weird for us. And there was like tornadoes in the middle of the week. It was very, very weird. So. Yeah. And yeah, I, I lost the fence. It was great. Luckily, it was an old fence that I would needed to take down anyway, and nothing got damaged. But it was kind of funny. Just North Carolina weather's dumb. Yeah. Oh, boy. 
Um, okay, yeah, but that I, I, I thought I remembered seeing something. Someone in our Discord or a few folks were talking about um, a race that they recommended. So I'll, I'll go through there, see if I can find that link, and we'll surely put it in the description of this episode um, once I find that. So, um, yeah, I think that wraps that up. Uh, it looks like very soon we will know who our finalists are. Um, so uh, we will link the schedule. Uh, as always, you can check our description for that and see when those matches are going to be because they probably will be before our next episode, I would imagine. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned to check those out. Those are ones that you're not going to want to miss. Um, moving along, uh, let's just touch on the Challenge Cup real quick. Let me pull up our uh, challenge for that. This one moves a little bit slower. Um, I think it's a little bit more casual in terms of uh, you know scheduling out matches. This one truly is, we're kind of more of in a top eight than a top four. Um, we do have Quiz Bowl in the top four for certain. Um, uh, took out Senin, unfortunately. We were all very sad to see that. Senin's a you know, GMP MT alum, and uh, I think the furthest racer that we had in the Challenge Cup tournament um, had a hell of a representation uh, in this tournament and, and performed beautifully. Um, uh, after that, we have Dragon Strike 1988 versus He's Just a Boy. And I have to apologize that he's just a boy because I, when we were talking about my own bracket speculation and what I thought might happen, um, I noted that the uh, that Trip, you know, when he inevitably, you know, if he did beat me, would probably have to go up against PRD Wong or Pretty Wrong. Um, and I kind of just discounted that anyone could take out PRD Wong because I know that that player is that racer is so strong. He's just a boy. Definitely did that, and not only that, but also took out Trip to make it to where they are in the quarterfinals right now as of this recording on february 9th sunday uh one and one with dragon strike 1988 so uh definitely not someone to be discounted and also someone that hangs out in our discord and uh has been adopted as a gmp crew member so we're gonna count them as somebody that we uh, are rooting for as well so shout out to he's just a boy um tearing through the bracket as well we'll be rooting for you um, as you uh, as you uh, finish out um, the the brackets uh, races that you have in front of you, so um, uh, beyond that we have Dracaris still very much in it. Um, I was in groups with them. They they absolutely destroyed me. Very very strong runner. We'll look forward to seeing them uh, as as they play through the top eight uh, against either Scionti or Scrub Casual. Um, and then we have of course Adirondack Rick who will go against Rascal Nikoff. Um, and we also have sort of adopted Rick, who was a mentor and, and also, of course, a guest on our show. So a lot of GMP representation there. Uh, very exciting to see them doing so well in the community and uh, going to be excited to see how the Challenge Cup shakes out. So any final thoughts before we move on to our next topic? Good luck to everyone remaining. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of exciting matches. This is like the grind of a tournament where you know the the admins on both both of them the players it's it's time to get to like the finals and everyone wants it to end but at the same time if you're still in it you don't want to lose and you don't want it to end so mm -hmm. uh so best of luck to everybody with that mental fortitude because that's that comes into play i think down the stretch absolutely yeah the the uh the act phenomenon we just discussed happy to be there but like ready to be done with the yeah tournament. Mm -hmm. yeah it's un it's very relatable and understandable um, all right, so in the community, there was a little bit of a uh, shakeup as a new glitch was discovered and is currently being uh, discussed by the Racing Council. Um, this, very similar to the Ancilla glitch, uh, it was, I think, around this time last year we were talking about, um, that allowed you to basically skip a lot of Ice Palace 
Um, if you can kind of remember when you go to that room to the right of the cross room and there's the pen gators in there, if you go over one more room, that takes you to um, the chest where the uh, – what is that in vanilla? I think that's the compass chest or something. I think so. I don't really. Or no, know, oh, it's the honest. it's the sorry, it's the big key. It's vanilla big yeah. key chest. I actually looked that up and put it in my notes here. Um, so it lets you just kind of go right through that barrier, and then you can check that chest and then walk down the stairs. And there's that like spike room chest, and it, it's just like a back way. You don't have to worry about the IPBJ a lot of the time. Um, obviously, super helpful, convenient. Would be huge if this was allowed. Um, Dante, I feel like I I trust you more than I trust myself to kind of like walk through sort of what's going on in this glitch that makes this happen can you can you speak to it i sort of understand it i've been able to pull it off a few times um i don't know why it works the way it does it obviously with abusing something with that cane it it basically fakes a door state and if you ever go in any any room basically if you are coming in a door uh that's not a staircase when you're halfway through it if you press like, let's say you're facing left or right. If you press up or down, then it's going to basically force you out the door before you could go down. It's not going to make Link walk down against the door. And that's what I'm referring to as door state. Uh, what happens, for some reason, you're not in the door, but it forces that door state. And when you press down, it will allow you to walk like you're walking through a door, and it just push pushes you right through. So... <laughs> Don't know why it's, it's awesome. that way. Uh, I think it was Yuzuhara who discovered it. I could be wrong on that, but uh, Yuzuhara on Twitter, it, it, it's wild watching some of the stuff they do and come up with uh, or and find out, I guess I should say. It's it's incredible. So this is uh, it, it's an interesting topic of discussion uh, lately. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's been, you know, shared in a lot of the discords and people are speculating on whether or not it will be allowed in you know normal like randomizer racing settings and fortunately we have a governing body to work on things like that of course i'm talking about the racing council that was established now speaking of the racing council we need to full stop everything right here and turn to dante and dante i actually was wondering if you could read this email that we got from walter the fourth <laughs> sure if you could just read that for us uh, I, I guess this is a different type of fetch question, but hi, Walter the Fourth here. I have a question directed to the Triple A man himself, Dante. Uh, Dante has mentioned a few times on the podcast that he's glad there is a council. Now, hang on, I said that one time, <laughs> <laughs> but he does not wish to be in it himself. What made you change your mind? Uh, and keep up the good work, and let's all uh, remember to go. <laughs> <laughs> go go folk ourselves uh people clown so thank you walter so, for that dante what is he talking about what what change your mind what's going on here so there was uh recently some people with the the, the current term that ended uh with the racing council and uh when uh those people departed uh they brought in new people uh from you know a series of applicants and I'm one of the people that is now on the racing council, even though I said initially I probably didn't want to do it. Um, it was, and and a lot of people have asked me, like, you know, you did say that, so what's the deal? And I, I said that in the very first episode. Then I went to GDQ and chatting with a lot of people there, uh, and some of them being, you know, at the time existing council members. I just, I made the bad assumption 
and this sounds like we don't do anything on the council, so please don't take it that way. I made the bad assumption that, like, people just threw their entire life into, like, this, and there was, like, this, you know, constant discussion of what was going on and things that needed to be done, and it's not quite like that. It's, you know, it, there's there's very, there's a lot of discussion, it's a lot of healthy discussion as well, especially with this new glitch, and with uh, the tasks we've been given uh, with the start of this new term, but it's not quite as... I'm not going to say in-depth, that's a bad word, but it's not as um, life-consuming as I initially envisioned it. So after having some conversations with people, I said, you know what, I'll throw my hat in the ring, and if it, if it was one of those things of if it's meant to be, it'll happen, you know? Like, uh, I'm not going to sweat over it. And then when the announcement came out that I was in, I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, I'm, I don't take the responsibility lightly, and uh, I... You know, I, I may only be here for one term, but we'll we'll see how it goes, and I'm looking forward to it. So there was an announcement from the Racing Council that there was a little bit of turnover of members. And uh, as you heard, Dancy is uh, – allow me to be the first among our uh, podcasts to congratulate you on being a new member of the Racing Council. Yeah, I think well, that's awesome. Well, thank you. Um, I do just want to say, you know, that obviously you guys, uh, as the Racing Council, deliberate on things and it's not always public knowledge. And then you come on this show and announce things uh, very publicly. There is obviously a little bit of a divide between, you know, those responsibilities and this. So we are going to press and prod you for information as as much as we possibly can. But we also (laughs) do respect, you know, your dual responsibilities and and that, you know, you you don't always want to be pestered about what you guys are talking about in there. And I know that you'll. Um, when you are able to and allowed to uh, be able to share things with us. But I do love that we have someone on this show who has a direct, you know, uh, direct association as, as a part of the governing body that decides all this stuff. I think that's super awesome. And, and again, congrats. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. And I do want to say this about the council. And I'm not saying anyone here or myself has had this, you know, you, you mentioned the secrecy thing. I don't I don't want anybody to think, and this is me speaking, I don't want anybody to think that, the racing council is this group of racers that are wearing these dark cloaks and you don't know what we're talking about. Like we're just, we're, we're racers like you are. And the reason that the admins I think uh, basically have done this is so that there's a group of people who can coll- collaboratively make a decision on certain things, uh, you know, as they announced in the past. And that way some of the admins that don't race on the daily, the weekly, the monthly, etc. Uh, you know, as far as like how often they do it this way, the the players are the ones helping to deci- decide what is competitively viable and, uh, you know, allowable. So mm-hmm. um, uh, viable is not the right word, but allowable is so. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's kind of why we're here. And, and we're just we're just, you know, players. That That's basically it. It's not a it's not some big secret organization. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny when you said like standing around in dark cloaks. I was like, God, that really is kind of what I sort of imagined in my head when I think about this council. I don't know why. <laughs> the council word is like uh, really. I don't know. I, I'm not gonna say it's overbearing. I get why it's that. It's it sounds official, and uh, that's you know it can it can intimidate people. It's kind of like I think in the Zooter community, the Ocarina of Time Rando community, they have done something similar, and I think they're called the Sages. You know, in representation yeah. of the game. So. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's a title, and that's, uh, you know, like I said, looking forward to doing as much as I can to further and help the community. Very cool. 
So to go a little bit more in depth into this Racing Council change, uh, there was an announcement where they uh, notified us of the members who were stepping down and the ones that were coming in to take their place. So the ones leaving the Racing Council were Cassidy Moen, Blaine, Super Nin Taylor, Weighty Words, Rywick, Phantom Ryu, and Solsky. So a huge thank you to um, all of you for the service that you provided of being a part of the Racing Council, especially uh, the first Racing Council. And then we have our new members. Of course, we have Dancy, but we also have uh, P Train, Big Dunka, Scary Olive, Walter the Fourth, or Walter the Fourth, Jem, and Mrs. Metroid. Um, and all of those people were at least somewhat familiar in, in name to me. And, and there's a lot of uh, accomplished people coming in there. Um, Walter the Fourth, very good runner. Um, we've, we've, we'll hear from him more with some of the questions we have in our fetch questions. Jem, uh, obviously, an explosive randomizer player, one of the best to do it. Big Dunka put together that 50,000 seed uh, data and also the um, tracker that's been sort of all the rage now. Um, P-Train, of course, we've met uh, you know, on the show. Mrs. Metroid, uh, affiliated with Speed Gaming, working closely with them. I assume that's kind of you know, be part of her kind of contribution to the Racing Council. Um, so yeah, everyone uh, on the on the racing council is coming in. You can understand why they were added for either their unique perspective or their you know skill their their skill level um, or just you know kind of their perspective. But uh, yeah, it's it's cool that you know they're able to keep it fresh like that, and it's not just the same people getting burnt out and bitter or whatever. You know, it's it's kind of a volunteer thing where we're switching people out. And if you ever want to see the current uh, roster, I guess we have we have that. Um, we have that available in the description. Um, I've actually put together a page on our website that just kind of keeps track of everybody, current and former members. So if you just Google like ALTTPR Racing Council, it should be the first thing that comes up. So um, check that out if you ever want to contact any of these folks or uh, anything like that. But um, yeah, that was, that was cool to see that, that announcement. And um, to go back to what we were talking about before, these are the folks, uh, you know, this new group, I would assume, um, Dante, maybe you can confirm or deny this is kind of your first challenge of trying to figure out this glitch and if it's going to be allowed or not. Is that is that safe to assume? Yeah, that's that's on the docket. There's a couple of things. Uh, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll, I'm not sure if I can say it. I'll be vague. It's just some, like sure. small straggling things that from the initial council that with everything that had been cropping up just didn't get done or finished, I guess, is a, mm-hmm. or polished. Didn't come and, to a conclusion. Yeah, and maybe. it's yeah. it's kind of just basically stating this is what we do, and yeah. uh, that's that's what we need to we need to polish that up at right after we you know at right after this glitch. So we'll um you know we're talking about it. Obviously, this is our everyone's hobby. Uh, everyone obviously has like you know full time jobs, full time school, or something along those lines, and. They it's something at least like that. So it's not always like we're in there talking twenty four seven. It's uh you know contribute to the conversation, come back and read it when you can, and we'll you know we're I think we're calling for a vote soon on that. So we'll have something for the community hopefully soon. TM. <laughs> yeah, very cool. And if that does get approved, we'll uh, we'll teach you how to do it, and uh, it'll definitely be a, a big part of the meta. Is you know knowing this glitch and when to utilize it and being able to skip a huge try to ice palace. I'm pretty stoked about that personally. So we'll definitely be coming back to that. Um, 
Cool. Uh, and uh, was there anything else for news? Herf, you said, I think yeah, you, said you had something? Uh, I have one last thing that I want to add. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to our one of our previous guests, Buane, for, according to speedrun.com, six days ago, taking the world record in the all dungeons restricted major glitches category of Zelda NMG. Or hey. rather, RMG as it is. Woo! All right, uh, GG. With the, within with a time of one hour, ten minutes, and forty-five seconds, uh, eight seconds before second place, with one more blue ball than the second place, so he's got wow. some time saves left. But uh, very good, very proud of our boy. Good job, Wayne. Yeah, GG, Wayne. That's awesome. Very good. Um, all right, let's uh, set up our features. So we are tackling the rest of the bosses that we didn't get to in our bosses part one alphabetically. That was A through H, uh, Aghanim 1 through Homosaur King. This time uh, we are um, tackling the rest of them. And I think the rest of the crew has a lot more uh, difficult bosses, the ones that we're about to talk about here. So um, get out your notepads, uh, get, you know, fire up your practice hacks and uh, you know, get ready to, to try these. Um, so, uh, of course, we've got Aeroar on for that. Uh, extremely accomplished runner has a bunch of really great info for us. Uh, anything else y'all can think of before we uh, jump into Interview World? I'm ready for Interview World because Same. this is like this. I got a lot out of this before I was, you know, in the host category. I was listening to this and I got a lot out of it. So I'm really looking forward to this one or part two to finish these bosses up. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. All right. Well, let's uh, let's all uh, move this rock and um, let's turn around backwards and let's just fall right down backwards into it. All right. Just trust fall into it. Let's go. All right. It's time to finish out our bosses part two. And to do that, uh, we needed to invite back our boss guru. So we are joined again by Aeroar. Ari, how are you doing? Yo, I'm doing great. Thanks very much. It's been too long. It has know, been too long. We've had like a whole year in between and the GDQ and a couple <laughs> other things. There's been a lot of stuff happening while you were gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we switched out hosts on you, so we got another host to, to come in and, and listen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, what, for, what, what a change sorry, up. go ahead. What a change up. All yeah. For me. Yeah, 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 quite the change up. Um, so for uh, those of you who haven't checked out our part one on bosses, A through H, uh, was it G or A? Yeah, it was A through H because we had Helmsword King in there. Uh, go back and listen to that. And Ari gives a, a little bit of a bio and introduction to his, um, you know, kind of how he's uh, associated with Rando and, and also the NMG uh, speedrun route. Uh, currently fourth place in the, the world record uh, in the times there for that, I believe. Correct? Yep. Correct. Yeah. Correct pretty damn incredible so we are honored to have you on to talk to us about this uh go back and listen to that episode um before you listen to this one i guess it's not like we're going to spoil anything but it's a great episode and you should listen to it um uh Ari, before we begin is there uh maybe something additional um that you didn't share with us last time that you could maybe tell us about you and rando just anything at all I, I was thinking really hard when he told me to think of something. <laughs> I actually couldn't really, like. I think I'm a pretty standard player. I guess like the most interesting thing is that I won the the second tournament tournament that went on when I came from the losers bracket. I don't think I like I lost in the first round and then managed to win everything from then on. Onwards. Oh wow! That was pretty cool. The comeback mm. kid. Yeah, that's a heck of it. a run. That's awesome. Which tournament was that? The the German tournament. 
Oh, what was cool. the second one? The first one was the one that Fulane won, mm-hmm. and then I managed to, to win the second one. If you have a favorite match from that that is uh, online anywhere, um, be sure to send that to me. I'd love to throw throw a sample of, of your uh, run through that bracket in the description. All right. Yeah, sure. I'll try to find a good one. Awesome. Cool. Okay. Well, without any further ado, let's jump back into this alphabetical list of bosses. Um, quick reminder of kind of how we handled this last time and what we're going to do this time. Basically, we'll start with uh, the boss talk about the dangers that you're going to need to avoid um, and then uh, kind of go from there to talk about how to damage it. Um, and we're going to basically give Ari uh, 100% items to start with, you know, what to go in when you have everything, and then we'll slowly strip away the more critical items until we're at like a bare bones low percent. So you'll get an idea of uh, various tactics to use on these bosses when you stumble through their doorways with whatever kind of uh, loadout that you have. So with that, let's let's move on to uh, perhaps one of the most unforgiving bosses in the game, the Guardian of Ice Palace, Cold Stare. Uh, so the boss of Ice Palace here, the danger that we need to identify. Um, right off the bat, when you come in, there's this falling ice um, that's pretty annoying. It persists through the entire battle. Um, do you have any tips for just kind of generally avoiding this ice, Ari? Yeah, it's... Don't try to be like either too too cardinal from it or too diagonal from it. You want to be like in the like like north northeast and uh-huh. north northwest. You want to be like the the ones and eights of the of the clock basically to avoid them because it's RNG whether they split up cardinally or for, or diagonally. So it can be pretty rough to keep avoiding them and avoid the the puff balls from from Coldstar, but that's something to keep in mind. If you want to be super safe, you can hug the, the north wall and the the ice box will actually disappear and won't hit you if they uh, if they land. So you can just stand there and not get hit at all. But then you are kind of stuck when there are a lot of Coldstar buffs going around. Yeah. So uh, in addition to the ice, the only other thing that can damage you is is if you actually touch the bodies of one of these uh, cold stare eye puff things. Um, so those are the only two like ways to take damage, but it happens a lot more than you would think. It's very easy to accidentally uh, get rolled into by one of these things. Um, how many hearts of damage does it do? Does anyone rem- remember? So the ice balls do two hearts of damage with green mill and cold stare hugs do four hearts. Jeez. And with blue mill, it turns into one and three. And with red mill, it turns to a half and two. Yeah, it's so it's it's very painful, very unforgiving. That's the kind of damage that will completely bypass your health, Jime. You know, like you're just walking around, yeah. everything's fine, and then uh, and then the screen goes black, and you're like, oh, crap. Also, yeah, in, oh, sorry, go ahead. Because sometimes you don't even beep. Because if right. you have like three and a half hearts or four and you take a hug and you're like, wait, 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 was I that low? Because your hearts just weren't beeping yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the flip side, um, it also means if you do have the choice and the brain capacity and the reaction speed, you'd always, always rather be hit by an ice block than by cold stare itself. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, the lesser of two evils kind of there. Um, so I guess let's go ahead and just start with, I guess we should address the ice phase first. Um, it's pretty straightforward. You either want to shoot eight fire rod shots or use bombos to bypass the first stage. 
Um, I know there is a way. Uh, Curran, I think, wrote in and told us about a way that you can um, use your Master Sword beams uh, instead of Fire Rod shots to only use four, which mm-hmm. can help you have a little bit more ammo for the fight if you need to. Um, Ari, have you heard anything about that strat? Yeah, I, uh, it's a really solid strat. You need to basically have a nice rhythm of fire rod shot, sword beam, fire rod shot, sword beam, and then the sword beam hit applies the fire rod. So usually the ice is like immune to anything that is not fire based, but somehow it just applies the fire rod shot again. It takes a little bit of practice to really, I'm not really sure how to, how to really describe the, 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 the rhythm that you need to have. Mm-hmm. But with a little bit of practice, you can get it pretty consistently that you can save either two, three, or four fire rod shots, and uh, that will help a lot during the fight itself. That's cool. Yeah, we can uh, try to find something to link. Uh, if you want some further reading, we'll set that up for you. But uh, most times, you know, you'll either Bombos, uh, if you don't have the fire, fire rod for whatever reason, you just have Bombos, obviously, you're going to use that. Um, but once you melt the ice and you get those shots in, um, I, there's there's a, a little kind of window that you you want to take advantage of there. So so Ari, with that, I'll I'll hand it over to you. What is your um, assuming we have butter sword and fire rod and all that? What do you do after you melt the ice? Okay, can I can I rewind just a little bit? Oh, to yeah, the yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, I don't want to get ahead so, of things here. <laughs> so one small trick to get the timing about equal between the the fire rod sequence and the bombo sequence is if you slash before using bombos three times then the ice blocks will not bother you when you release the spin during the second phase. And then you will be able to get around the same sequence of events as you would with a normal fire rod fight. And that can be a nice uh, little safety to have. Oh, like a kind of a timing buffer there. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Awesome. Okay. Very nice. So assuming you have gold sword, um, if you spin from the bottom left of gold stair, just a little bit a little bit more low than left, you'll be able to knock him to the wall and then slash him three times from the left and then he'll die. And usually if you don't stand too high while slashing, you'll be able to keep them grouped together. And that's usually a thing that you want to keep doing during cold stair fights. If you're not too comfortable with some of the more advanced strats, if you manage to slash him from a bit bit lower than would seem natural you can keep them into the corner and they won't like escape downwards and that's um, that's a solid strat to have so with gold sword you only need to do four hits so one of them is the spin and then three more slashes will kill them all and they're all grouped up right there so it's pretty easy to just one right after the other and kill them all in the corner there yeah exactly awesome okay uh, and if you have tempered, is is that like a huge downgrade? Is there a big difference there, or is it same same kind of idea? Um, it's you can do the same kind of idea, but then it's six slashes, which does take a bit longer, and you will have to dodge another um, ice block that is falling. So it can be a little tricky to get it consistent with six slashes. If you have any fire uh, rod shots left, either by doing the 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 beam glitch or by having half magic, you can also kill them with uh, extra fire rod shots to spam that. That's a good safe option. Um, if you want a really consistent fight, you can learn like either a single poke strat or a double poke strat. The double poke is really hard to learn cons- to get consistent at. The single poke is not too bad. It, to get good at that, it would probably take the same amount of time as it would take to get good at like the six slash, as it is um, usually called. Mm-hmm. Um, the one trick 
is to try to like get them in the same spot always after the spin and then with the poke dash you want to hold the dash button a little bit longer than you're used to with poke dashes because you have to hit all three of the cold stir puffs and that can be a little tricky so it is really easy to just tap it and not and release the poke because not all of them get hit evenly or something it's kind of weird i gotcha um, yeah that's kind of getting too like too advanced maybe <laughs> but usually with temperage you just like spin them and then keep slashing and if one of or two of them escape it's not too bad because like as long as one of or two of them are dead the fight gets so much easier it's only a really bad fight if they all escape and hit you and you have to keep dodging everything if you need yeah. to clean it up it's really not that bad yeah so i guess with that that's kind of a good transition do you want to talk maybe a little bit about like the movement of of these balls that because i i know there are certain rules to kind of how they move around and and i think knowing that can maybe make it a little easier to try to avoid them yeah so um normally they they only move diagonally but once in a while they will actually be able to just charge at you they they speed up and charge at you straight so they can even move like calmly straight to you or like horizontally or vertically or any angle mm -hmm. so you need to be really aware of that that you're not always as safe as you think you are mm -hmm. um i also wanted to go back you mentioned you know spamming fire rod shots and when they're all grouped together how that can be useful i have noticed uh at certain times when you shoot a fire rod shot and it hits one of them and, and the fire remains you can sometimes damage two of them with one shot do you know exactly what the criteria is to trigger that? Because I never, I feel like it's lucky when it happens for me. I don't know necessarily how to take advantage. Um, I think it has to do with the same thing that affects Spooky. So it depends on the Ancilla of the, like the, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's, so it might uh, as well be magic. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah exactly. I can't set that up. Like, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how you can influence that to make sure it always happens. Okay. One thing I've found to try and influence that, and this is by no means consistent, but it does help if, you know, say you're on Fighter Sword, but you're, you have half magic or something. Uh, if you get a spin, and instead of spinning them to the top right, and you spin them to the left, for some reason firing that fire rod from right to left has a, at least in my experience, it seems that it has a higher probability of damaging multiple with the splash. And oh, someone pointed that out to me, and I, I've... I've tested it a little bit and it's just, it's not something that I I've got a exact strategy for because it's not something I don't think a lot of people would practice cause it's not ideal. But, um, I guess area, if you, if you get in the practice hack, try that out and see, uh, I think you're much more experienced with uh, cold stare than me, but when you get the time, see if there's like any consistencies to that, that you can pick up on. That is really interesting. I'll give that a shot. That's cool. Um, so, unfortunately, I know you're having a lot of fun with this fire rod, but I'm going to go ahead and yoink it out of your hands. No more fire rod. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what, what, so here's, here's some good news about most times, and I think most people listening to this, when they face off against Cold Stare, they will have a hammer. Uh, you know, because normally Ice Palace logic requires you to, to have that heading down there. Not always, but um, usually you will. So, so do you have any tips for hammer master sword fighter sword god help you how to handle the battle when you don't have the tempered or fire rod um yeah so the base principle is still the same you try to keep them in the corner and then you would either like if you have to boots you would try to do a double poke 
into hammer optimally but even if you just do slash 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 and then at some point like hammer them you will be able to whittle them down pretty easily because the hammer does the same damage as tempered sword so you only need a couple of hammers and again once you clean one or two of them up the rest is not as bad as it might seem it's only really once you get into fighter sword only or something that it takes a really long time to to get him down and that's yeah. like in really awful situations that are not in normal randomizer anyway because you all otherwise always have hammer yeah and and if i'm reading this uh damage table right you actually can't even damage cold stare with a regular fighter sword swing you have to use a a, a spin slash yeah exactly and enjoy spinning 16 times per buff. <laughs> you're gonna get dizzy <laughs> But I guess, I mean, logically that could be required, couldn't it? Um, no, because you always have the hammer. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, you have to have the hammer. I mean, wow. in entrance and stuff, yeah, it would be possible. But th those are for more, usually for more experienced players anyway. Yeah. Well, I feel like that was really helpful and a really good overview. Is there anything else anyone here has that they might want to say before we move on to our, our next alphabetical boss? If you have magic left and half cape you can just stand into a corner use cape and then keep on slashing because as long as you're doing something while having the cape active you don't actually drain magic mm. so if you just stand in a corner and keep swinging you'll never run out of magic and keep them in a the corner good to know very very good okay uh, i could see using that in desperation for sure if things get pretty bad um Cool. Okay, well, that takes care of Cold Stare. Next up, alphabetically for us, is going to be Land Molest. So this is not necessarily, uh, I don't think, has a reputation for being quite as dangerous, since it is a light world guardian. Doesn't do quite as much damage on a hit as, you know, something like Cold Stare. But uh, it can be pretty time-consuming, because it does operate within cycles. So the goal, you know, in a perfect world, is to try to get that zero cycle, where you kill each one pretty much as soon as they come out of the ground. Um, obviously, that's going to be the fastest way every time, but uh, there's also a lot of things that you can damage uh, Landmolus with, and I think it can sometimes be challenging to try to decide what to use out of out of all of your items, so I'm um, excited to kind of jump into that. Let's start with the danger. There's really uh, only two ways that you can be hurt by Landmolus, actually kind of similar to Cold Stare. Um, the first is any time that Lamellus, uh, one of these three worms, comes out of the ground, it's going to shoot dirt clods out. Um, as far as how these dirt clods uh, behave, Erroror, um, can you kind of speak to that for us? Yeah, so when Lamellus pops out, it shoots like four clods in like diagonals. Mm hmm once there's only one Lamo left, it enrages, and then it will shoot in like all the eight, uh, all eight directions. So both carnally enter diagonally. What what makes you use that term enrage? Uh, I don't know. It's just something that uh, every boss has in a way. It's like yeah. So so Armos has like the the red Armos. Moldorm gets really fast. Helmasaur has a second phase, etc., etc. So yeah. this is kind of Lamos' second phase if there's only one left. So yeah, yeah, I, I just how it came uh, no, I like yeah, I like that terminology, just like enraged, just like at the very end there. That's cool. Is there any other difference other than the eight claws? Does it like go faster or anything like that? No, no. no. The rest of the fight is exactly the same. Okay, cool, cool. All right. Um, so. I guess with that, the last thing is just it's very RNG based is, is to, to my knowledge, it's just like total RNG unless there's some sort of setup I don't know about. 
Um, they're pretty much just going to come out wherever and anywhere they can stay out for just like one jump and, and super quickly go back into the ground or they can float halfway across the room and give you a whole bunch of time. So it seems to all be RNG based. Um, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I, let's go. So Lemos right. <laughs> can pretty much like from, from their starting point, they can pretty much almost go to any other spot in, in the room. So I think there's like 64 spots in the room where they can jump to or where they can either spawn or jump to from, or maybe not necessarily spawn. I think there's like the edge where they can't really spawn. Mm -hmm. But in principle, there's like a set amount where they can spawn and then there's the entire room where they can go to. The first cycle is different because they always spawn from the same spot in the first cycle. So that's where you want to do the most damage as possible, either with your silvers or fire sword or, or I mean, fire rod or whatever. So. The rest of the fight should be the cleanup as long as you have decent equipment. So that's really what you want to look out for. So even though where they go to, even in the first cycle, is random, like the starting point is always the same. So you can have a setup for it. And that's what we're probably going to look at. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's time if you want to go ahead and jump into that. All right. So if you have boots, the setup for with like silver's fire rod is really easy you'd like dash up and then like buffer up for like one frame so you either like press up and slash or like bit diagonal and slash so you're just a little bit higher than you would be where you land when you bonk and then when you see the 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 dirt piles like grow at some point right mm -hmm. when when the sec the pile from the second lamo grows to the second size, that's when you want to fire your, your shot left, and then it will hit right when it spawns. And then you have like this rhythm to it where you, you shoot to the left, move a bit to the left, shoot to the right, move a bit to the right, and then shoot down. And then you will have like a one cycle with silver arrows. Gotcha. Yeah, um, there's yeah, that's the one nice thing um, that I've noticed is that it does have a consistent uh, timing to the sprites and, and how they move and when it comes out. So if you know that, like Ari's saying, and you, you know when to shoot those shots so that it, it lines up every single time and you get them right when they come out. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Now, let's say we don't have the silvers. What do you go to next? Probably fire rod, right? Yeah, with Fire Rod, I would probably do the same thing. You can also try to hit them from above, but it's a bit more dangerous because you have still have to avoid the diagonal shots from, from the Lamos. Um, so it's easy to like go to the right too soon and get hit by that. So I kind of do the same thing with Fire Rod, where I stay in the middle and then do like two Fire Rod shots to the left, two Fire Rod shots to the right, and then like try to improvise a little bit on the last one because the last one is a bit harder to... Uh, to really get a solid read on where it's going. Mm -hmm. All right, so I know this is sort of weird, but let's say you don't have silvers or fire rod, but you do have the the best sword. Um, what what do you do there? Uh, you just try to slash. I think slash around. I think you would try to get one slash on Lamo per cycle, so you don't really go for like a kill necessarily in the first cycle. You just it's it's most important to kill the last one because that one spawns last again in the second cycle as well. So it's fine if you leave the first two uh, alive and then kill the last one, and then the first two will spawn earlier than the last one would, so you save a little bit of time in that sense. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. That's cool. 
Uh, so more like evenly distributing the damage instead of just like chasing one down and then chasing another one down because that takes more cycles. Yeah, because if you get a short hop in the second cycle on a Lamo that still has full health, it's really hard to get two hits on it. So in that sense, you want to try to divide as much as possible. That makes sense. That's cool. And, and that goes with like anything that doesn't kill in one hit, really. So especially with like both fight or tempered, you really want to diversify your damage a bit more. Okay, that's a good point. So the, like I said, there are a lot of uh, items that can hurt land molest. Um, I've got some yeah. of them listed out here. I have no idea if this is an order of preference or anything. Um, but could you want to maybe just speak to like alternate items beyond the few that we've talked about already and kind of what you would do if you were forced to use one of those? Um, so if it's a bow only fight, I'll just try to do the normal energy fight, I guess, where I shoot two left. Like I do the same setup as with silvers or fire rod, and then you do two arrows to the left, two arrows to the right, and then try to get as much as possible on the last one. Um, tempered, I would just try to do spins or slashes as much as possible. Ice rod, you kind of want to do the same thing as with fire rod. It does the same amount of damage. It just travels a little bit slower, so you have to, like, internally like shoot earlier than you otherwise would with the fire rod. Hammer is a disaster. Master Swords, you really want to do spins because Master Sword slashes do the same as Fighter Sword. Or, yeah, Master Sword slashes do the same thing as Fighter Sword. Um, with If you only have Fighter Sword, it's just a slash fest. You don't want to do spins because spins do the same amount of damage as slashes. So it doesn't really do anything except for slow you down. Hmm. That's good um, to know. I think a lot of people, when they have the fighter sword, are like, ah, oh, I've got this crappy sword. I'm going to charge it up to spin slashes so I can really get the power out and make this go faster. That's not how that works. It doesn't work no. that way. It's <laughs> fight at least. Yeah. Um, bombs? There, there used to be a setup in an MG fight where you do like five slashes and then drop bombs and then you'll hit two of them or something. I'm not exactly sure how the setup is, but I, I don't really know the timing either when you want to drop them and throw them and all that stuff. I, I have been in the fortunate situation that I haven't really had to use them. Mm -hmm. um, Red Cane is fine. It's just really slow because it's the same amount of sword as fire, uh, same amount of damage as fighter sword. So it takes eight hits to, to kill them. So that's 24 hits with a cane, and that's kind of awkward. Blue Cane is pretty good as long as you have enough magic because it will continually damage them. They don't really have iframes with um, either Cane or fire, fire Rod and all that stuff. I think it's only with Swords that they have iframes. Huh. That's interesting. And you just hmm. kind of like walk along with them, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You just follow them because you're invulnerable, so you can do whatever you want. Yeah. And you don't get any knockback and all that stuff. So that's really good. Blue Cane, as long as you have magic, is a really solid item. Nice, Dinty. Were you gonna say something? No, no, no. I was just kind of come or making <laughs> making a noise based on just thinking uh, about that uh, the sword slash thing. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, the last thing I guess with Lamnalus is we do have the Lamnalus two that's ha that happens in Ganon's Tower. The only real well, I guess there's a couple of differences. One is you've got that super annoying shooter just like shooting off every so often that you got to avoid. That's yep. probably gonna hit you in the back of the head a time or two. Um, and and also, it seems like they there's something where they're like loading in in the room before uh, with the um, bunny beam in there. Can you speak to that, like kind of what's going on there and how we can maybe kind of use that to our advantage or counteract it? Yeah. So if as long as you dash immediately into the room, you'll be fine. But otherwise, the they start spawning in a way already 
because they are on you are on the same super tile as them. So in a way, the game already thinks the fight is happening. I don't know exactly why they don't actually jump out of ground yet. I'm not like technical enough in in the game when it comes to that. Yeah, I don't know enough. But yeah, um, there are a few situations where you don't mind them all spawning at the same time. Say that you only have like tempered sword or 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 gold sword and like are not comfortable enough with anything without fire rod or silvers. Then you can just charge your sword wait a bit and then walk into the room and spin them and sometimes you can even get a couple of kills because you keep bouncing around and then they the iframes run out and you hit them again all that mm -hmm. stuff so you can get pretty lucky with that otherwise you try to do the same setup where you kind of stand in the middle of them and shoot either your your silvers or fire rod shots just make sure you keep enough magic of course for for torches later on in gt yes very important um, cool. Okay. Well, I think that pretty much handles Lamelus. Any final thoughts from anyone? All right. Sweet. Let's move it's... on to my my personal uh, rival, my enemy, uh, very very annoying Moldorm. Um, so let's talk a little <laughs> bit about how to handle Moldorm. Um, so the danger here is a little bit different than other battles. Uh, you won't see very many people actually die to Moldorm. It's not like it deals a bunch of damage, but you will see a lot of people falling down and having to go back up and start this, the fight over from the very beginning. Um, so that is the main danger is just not falling. Um, it's kind of better to take your time a little bit and, and make sure you don't fall than it is to really rush and then fall and then have to go back and do it again. Um, but with that being said, so we should probably talk about, um, well, I guess, I guess I'm going to hand it over to Aeroar because usually there's like a super fast strat that, that we need to handle right away. Um, and then we kind of can handle, you know, what to do if maybe the tables have turned and you're just trying to play on the defensive. So with that, Aerie, let's say you're walking in, you've got your butter sword, your hammer and, and all that good stuff. What's, what's the first thing that you do in this fight? Um, as long as you can get safely into Moldorm's area. I think as long as you have Gold Sword or even Tempered Sword, it's not too bad. You just with with Gold Sword you only need to do one slash and one poke. So that's really really okay. With Tempered Sword you want to do one spin and one slash or dash or something. Um, what you want to avoid is dashing vertically. Somehow his hitbox is set up in a way that it's a lot easier to get frame ruled when you dash from vertically than horizontally. But even horizontally can be dangerous. So what I prefer doing lately is just following him from behind in a way and reacting yeah. to his head. So once you see him like move, like turn around to face you, you kind of want to go the opposite direction and like keep following him and then either keep slashing or charge or spin and hit him. And it takes a lot of experience to really read it properly. And this only really works if he's not facing the edge. Because if he bounces around, around if he bounces around from the edge, it, it is random where he goes. So it's a lot easier to get caught off guard in that sense. But gotcha. if he's in the middle of the arena, you can like slash him and then stand behind him and then react to what he's doing and then slash him again. Like if you only have the fighter sword or the master sword. If you have like master sword or hammer, it's a bit trickier because you really want to do master sword spins and the hammer hitbox isn't too good. So you need to do like free master sword spins, free hammer hits. The the good part is that as long as you succeed with that, he doesn't enrage. And again, like he speeds up so much in 
on the last hit if you only have fighter sword and it makes the fight a lot harder and a lot more un unpredictable as well um i would recommend just taking it easy if he's like bouncing around near the edge just wait at some point he will have a period where he will always face towards you so he won't always just keep bouncing around if he's on the left side it can be pretty tricky but sometimes you can just stand below the pit in the middle and charge your spin and as and release it if you release the spin it takes priority on hitting the till than hitting the head so it will just hit the till first and then you'll get bounced back from the from the head so that's always a good way to get a hit in gotcha okay so in our first episode when we talked about tower of hera and we talked a little bit about moldorm way back when one of the tips that we gave is that if you are charging up a spin slash uh it's impossible to get knocked off uh now that doesn't mean that you know if you're holding a spin slash one way and then you get hit somehow like in your back uh that'll still hit you and then you could take damage and fall off but what we had said is if you charge up that spin slash and hold like t away from the ledge then he, it'll never be able to knock you off yeah i that is true but and and so for a long time that was sort of my go-to is like i always held that like i was always holding that spin slash as like um you know a defense basically what i've been doing recently and we can talk about this whether you guys think it's a good idea bad idea whatever um, is not spin slashing because I can move a little bit faster and just trying to be a little more agile and nimble and really just get as close as possible and, and take a normal slash instead of a, a spin slash. And I've actually had a little bit more success with that, having a faster motion, not being married to facing one direction only. Um, that's been working for me. What, what are your guys' thoughts on, on you know, a strat like that versus spin slashes? So I personally think that's a good idea, like once you're getting better at the game and are able to respond to Moldorm a lot better, then that's definitely the optimal way. But sometimes there are just situations where you will get pinned down and it's a good fall, it's a good thing to fall back on. Um, I would recommend for newer players to probably just keep doing that for a little bit mm -hmm. and then like with a little bit better equipment, like either having Tempered Sword or Gold Sword to, to be a bit more aggressive maybe and see how uh, how well yeah. you can react to it but with fighter sword it like it can be really frustrating <laughs> yeah yeah the I fight with fighter would... sword's not fun uh -huh. <laughs> yeah for, for me personally it mainly depends on what sword i have uh, if i spin or slash like with a gold sword it doesn't make a difference if you spin or slash damage wise and with the tempered sword, it, I'm I'm not even sure if it does does make a difference with the tempered sword. I think it's one spin and yeah. one slash with the tempered yeah. sword or something. Yeah. yeah, correct. So if I have tempered sword, I'll try to get a spin in or first a slash and then a spin, kind of depending on the situation. It's it's really as Ari said. You know, if you're newer, it's probably more safe to hold out your sword. But once you get a little more experience with Moldorm, uh, I'd say just go with what feels better, if that makes sense. The problem with Tempered Sword as well is that if you poke him with Tempered Sword, it deals Fighter Sword damage. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to get him into the, the Enrage phase as such. Yeah. Um, another tip I would have is if you have the Hookshot, you can actually hold out your your sword and then Hookshot and get the iframes from that and then immediately release it and you'll never get hit as long as you hit the, hit the till during the spin. So if it's like coming straight at you, you can just Hookshot and then just release the spin and that's a good way to get like for example the last hit in you need to be careful with the 
with the knockback if it's not the last hit because it can be pretty unpredictable depending on where the, where the head is in you. Mm -hmm. That Which is not something I've ever messed with. That's cool. That, another mm -hmm. thing that is pretty important is that only the head has a hitbox. Like the till, you can just walk through the till and not get hit at all. So you only neatly need to watch out for the head. And the till always follows the head as well. So if you want to focus on where the head is going and not on what the till is doing, oh, it makes it a lot easier to follow what Moldorm is doing. Yeah, I never thought about that. If you just like zero out this the body and the tail and just like just watch the head like bouncing around, that's that's kind of trippy. That's an interesting way to look at it. I have to try that next time. Any final thoughts about Moldorum? I feel like that's helpful. I feel like I'm I'm excited to get in there and try it again. Mhm. Mm cool. All right, well we're halfway through. Um so let's start uh, again on the list. Continuing down alphabetically after Moldorm, we have the dreaded Mothula. Um, can I call this one my rival too? They're all sort of my <laughs> rival, I think. I, I hate them all equally. There's a lot of hard fights in this game. Yeah, and this is this is definitely this can be a really tough one. I think there's a, there's a lot to dig into here. So with Mothula, um, when we're talking about the danger, pretty much everything in the room is trying to kill you, and that yeah. is one of the things that makes it so hard. So, Including can you talk? Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's let's talk a little bit about all of these um, elements of damage that are flying around the room, and if you could kind of, kind of like we did with Blind, sort of prioritize like what is better to get hit by than something else. Say if you're like between a rock and a hard place, like how do you prioritize what you take damage from? Alright, so it kind of depends on what mill you have. Um, so if you have red mill, Mafla and everything that Mafla does only does half a heart of damage, but the spikes will always do a full heart of damage. Mm -hmm. So as long as you have green mill, you prefer to get hit by the spikes than by anything that Mafla does. If you have blue mill, it really doesn't matter. But with red mill, you'd prefer to just get hit by Mafla. But if you have red mill, the f you're probably well equipped enough that you can tank a few hits and not have to worry too much about what Mafla is doing anyway. So let's assume that, uh, like, for the sake of, like, if you really need to avoid damage, just try to get hit by the spikes instead. Okay, interesting. All right. So the spikes, um, you know, theoretically wouldn't be that hard, except we do have the treadmill under us that is kind of, uh, you know, pushing and pulling us away and towards these these spikes. Do you have any advice for kind of, like, orienting yourself and just kind of, like, like where do you position your sprite when you're playing is there is there anything in particular you're doing in terms of movement in a fight like this um i'd like to like it's you the same start from the beginning as, yeah so okay from the beginning you want to hit him as soon as he becomes vulnerable so there's like this block right above mafla and that means that you can knock him against that block that he actually takes damage because mafla has this super annoying property that he doesn't take damage from spikes because that would make the fight too easy. <laughs> I hate it so much. <laughs> I really hate it. So uh, this also has the interesting property that in the vanilla game, he is immune to gold sword or gold sword damage. So he's mm -hmm. immune to gold sword slashes, gold sword spins, tempered sword spins, because it has the same damage value as spikes. This is partly fixed in randomizer so gold sword slashes and dashes all do damage to him but gold sword spins and tempered sword spins don't so if you have though like if you have gold sword or tempered sword don't spin him because you won't actually damage him 
Um, okay, but that's good yeah. to know. I don't think I knew that. So there is this very technical thing that if you're uh, adept at the NMG fight, you can do is like poke dashing him, and like you can hit him twice uh, at the start, and it basically cuts his health, his health in half if you have uh, either tempered or gold sword, but usually you just want to um yeah hit him away from the spikes and you want to if he's on the side you want to stand like really on the on the wall side so you can slash him towards the middle and it's really trying to avoid the spikes as much as possible and hitting him towards the the free area um it's a really complicated fight and my tip would be to say that the, the fight gets harder the longer it takes because there's going to be way more spikes roofing around the arena and all that and he's getting more volatile so don't be afraid to be aggressive early and take and maybe like tank a few hits in order to avoid more pain later because it's way harder to to get to him yeah yeah that's i think that's kind of i remember herf kind of giving us that advice when we had our skull woods episode um, it's definitely good to get it corroborated by by an expert here. Uh, yeah, the... <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I didn't even realize Got what him. I was saying. Ouch. I'm sorry about that, man. That was brutal. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, by by the best. Let's just say that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Perf, I okay, learned so... today you're not the best. <laughs> no, I, I don't mind saying that. We yeah, we we all know we we have a, we all have a long way to go. So. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, so let's talk about uh, your your choice of weapons, your weapon of choice, just like that Fat Boy Slim song from the two thousands. Um, what so so if you have butter, like you said, no no spins because that's kind of a waste of time. It's pretty much just a, a slash fest, I would imagine. Like you said, you're going to get in and, and maybe even. Um, you know, like kamikaze a little bit so you can end the fight quickly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is this thing called poke dashing again that you can use if he's like, say that the conveyor is not moving down. That's probably the worst part if the conveyor is moving down. You can pin him against the spike and do poke dash him. And then somehow the poke dash overrides the spike damage. And then you can still damage him. It also works with like master sword spins. Sometimes it just the, the damage. Is so continuous or something that it doesn't take the spike damage into account and you still hit him. But that's pretty rough to get consistent at. Um, what I would say is like if he's like hanging around the top, I would slash him before he does his fireball attack. And that like as every time he gets hit, it basically resets the the cycle in a way, the timer before he does another attack, and it also resets his movement pattern, I believe. But it's a pretty complicated fight, in my opinion. I find it really hard to know exactly what he's doing or how to read it. Sometimes you just get screwed over, for lack of a better way of saying it. Yeah. Do you prefer to try to get off to the side? Because one of the things Mafia does when it attacks is it shoot. It always shoots south and with uh, three balls, one that goes straight down and others that go kind of in a slant. Um so I find personally like clearing that, like trying to stay to the side when possible or above if, if even I can, helps me to avoid those fireballs at least. Would you say that's that's a, a good thing to think about or, or not as much on your mind? Uh, that's not as much on my mind. I prefer staying below him because at least I find it easier to know when exactly I can hit him or not. Because mm -hmm. when it's going to the side, it 
I'm not exactly sure where his hitbox is. Right. <laughs> so sometimes it's like I keep slashing him and it's like he's not getting hit. And sometimes I slash him and he suddenly dies. It's like I thought I slashed you through the spike. What's going on? Yeah. It's also far I find it really hard to do hammer hits on him because the trajectory it takes after the hit is sometimes so off. Yeah. Um, do you have uh any advice to try to avoid the um, negating of damage by hitting the spikes? Is it just as simple as, like, don't hit them into spikes? Or yeah. is there something more to kind of look at? Yeah, aside from poke dashing and try to hit him towards the middle of the room, it's really hard to say what you can do. It's so sometimes I just try to hit him before he does his attack just to reset his movement in a way. Otherwise, it's just it takes so much experience to really figure out the feel for it. And especially with lower equipment, it's the fight is so different every single time because, he, like, he has like RNG in his movement, and the spikes are RNG as well. Like, depending on which spike moves moves first and stuff, it's uh, it's a really complicated fight. Yeah, um, I noticed that you can damage Mothula with the red cane. Have you ever been like forced to do that, or because no. you'll always at least have a sword, right? So, like, why would yeah. you ever do that? Yeah. Uh, the only other weird thing that you can damage Mothula with that I definitely wanted to recommend, because it's certainly saved my life a time or two, is the special B. I've never used that either. Yeah. Because that is that's yeah. scary. Because yeah. that, that B will just push him all around the room. Yeah. And then exactly. suddenly suddenly you're face tanking Moth like four times and then you're dead and you don't even know what happened. Um I'm speaking from experience there. So <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the the B I've never I've never once found the bee to be, uh, <laughs> like, super useful, like, in saving time, unless I, like, was going through an enemizer like, spiral cave. But, yeah, with Moth, you know, it's, like, it, it's not worth. It's, I'm just saying, it's saved me before. If you just, like, focus, you know, the bee works on it, attacking it, and, yeah, you know, it might hit it into the spikes a few times, and it, it takes a while, but... That way, for me at least, like I could just focus on like I'm just gonna stare at Link's sprite or like at my sprite and just avoid absolutely everything that comes towards me, and I don't have to worry about when's a good time to slash or do damage or whatever. So, I, I guess you know you've heard both sides, dear listener. You can decide if you want to bust that bee out of the <laughs> bottle or not. But I'll take all the help I can get personally. <laughs> so, uh, any final thoughts on Mothula? It's a terrible boss. It's a terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible. It's my it's rival. A, it's an awful boss. Yeah, it's it's among among the worst. Um, so let's take a little break from these like uh, hell bosses and go to one that is, I think, a little bit more predictable. Uh, let's move down uh, alphabetically to the next one, which is going to be Trinex. Uh, so a lot of items required for this particular boss. Of course, we need the fire rod and the ice rod. Non-negotiable. No other way around it. You've got to have those. Yes. Uh, and and you're gonna need a lot of magic too. Mm-hmm. So, um, with that, uh, this definitely strikes me as the kind of boss where you probably have a, a pretty specific kind of like setup because it, it kind of go- has like a little bit of a wind up that it does at the beginning of the fight. So, do you want to just maybe jump straight into this one? Yeah, sure. So, I for. The first few setups, I'm just going to assume that you have the boots. So, because you're going to need the boots in order to do the backdoor strat, and you like walk left a couple of tiles, then dash up, and then get behind it. And if you then 
like say you have the gold sword, you can just ice rod down and it hits as soon as it becomes vulnerable. And then you can slash three times, like before the third hit, you menu to the fire rod, then you do your last slash, move to the right, and then you can like fire rod down, hit the ice head as soon as it becomes vulnerable, slash three times, and it doesn't even and at that point the first phase is over. You just it doesn't even like attack with its main head anymore. That's how fast it can be. With Tempered Sword, you kind of do the same thing, but instead it's gonna be like, after the Ice Rod shot, you do four slashes, then you do another Ice Rod shot, you menu to the Fire Rod, you slash, move to the right. The Ice Rod, the Ice Head will already have moved a little bit. So it might take a few sh pot shots to actually get hit him, but then you dash down, do two slashes, and then Fire Rod him again, and then depending on how fast you Fire Rod, it actually hits twice or something. And then you might only need one slash, and otherwise it's two slashes. And then you will have to avoid the, the main head attack. But that's kind of like the the optimal backdoor strat fight. And it's really consistent and really safe as well, as, lo as long as you properly get the dash off. It's cool, too, because it doesn't look like it'd be safe. Like, you're, you're getting closer to the enemy. You're standing next to some spikes. You know, you sort of overlap with its sprite even a little bit. Um, so it seems like it would be a lot more dangerous, like an advanced sort of thing. But um, it's interesting to hear that it's it's actually safe because uh, I've actually never tried it. And now I feel like I, I should. Yeah. Again, it's probably not something that you can just wing immediately the first sure. time. You might need yeah. a bit of practice with it, but it, it really isn't that bad. And even with Master Sword, you can get a consistent setup for the Firehead and then have an easier time improvising on the Ice Head. So gotcha. with the Master Sword, you do the same thing, you dash up, you main to the Ice Rod, and then you ice, hot, ice Rod, you do four slashes, so that's the equal of two Tempered Sword slashes. Then you Ice Rod again, and then you menu to the Hammer instead. And if you do three Hammers, you do the, the combined of five Tempered Hits, which is what you need for, for one of the heads to die. And if you menu during the last Hammer to the Fire Rod, you can even like start attacking the, the last head as well while uh, the firehead is exploding. Because that's one of those annoying properties of bosses, right? Like if a part of a boss is dying, you can't actually menu mm -hmm. <laughs> while there's explosions going on. So you need to be really careful with your menus and not forget to menu before you actually kill one of the heads. Yeah, gotcha. So in terms of, uh, you know, talking about uh, items that you may or may not have for this fight, it's you, you kind of are boxed in to be using certain certain items you have to have the fire rod and the ice rod as we said you have to have the hammer to get into um to get into turtle rock now i understand if we did you know boss shuffle and things like that that'll that'll maybe change it up a little bit but the vast majority of people listening and times that they play you're going to have the hammer and you'll have both of those rods um so there's not a whole lot of variety there i mean i think really the only other things to keep in mind are you know do you have uh, magic versus half magic do you have any backups in case you need them if you miss a shot or something like that yeah. um but yeah that that pretty much handles that so um so let's say you know we, we take care of both the firehead and the ice head and now we're dealing with the snake what sort of uh, advice would you give us for this phase i would there um, i kind of stand a bit below it a little bit to the left and then i charge a spin and wait until like the the shell disappears like during the explosion at some point the shell disappears and that's when it becomes vulnerable for the last phase they can release the spin and if you're standing on the right spot you can actually get a double hit in 
And if you have tempered or gold sword, you just need another slash in order to finish it. Because again, it needs five tempered sword slashes or ten master sword hits. So yeah. if you have master sword, I would probably try to get the double hit in and then see if I can walk up and try to hammer him from the side, like hit the main body. An interesting property is that, um, like for the first two or three seconds, the head is vulnerable as well, but then only the middle part is vulnerable. So you need to be a bit careful. Um, so after the first bit, you want to lead Trinex and then walk like to the side and then hammer the middle. So it's kind of, yeah, leading yeah, him and then dodging. Yeah. For, for being the final boss you know and seeming so scary when you first start playing it's actually pretty straightforward and simple once you kind of have played it a few times and have the practice so yeah yeah a little bit of a break honestly between the the two really tough bosses we're talking about um the the one that we just talked about and the one we're about to the <laughs> last thing I'll, I'll say uh just a little advice and because just because i've seen some people miss this sometimes when i watch races is the item that spawns will always be in the middle of the screen just a little bit south of the center um, rather than appearing where the boss actually died, like it usually does. Um, so, you know, don't just stand on top of the explosion because you're just going to waste time having to walk over and get your item. Yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah, any other final thoughts about Trinex before we move on to my true main rival? Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess if you don't have the boots, it's it. the fight is still pretty straightforward, but it's a lot more RNG dependent, depending on how the... The ice and fire head move so you need to be a bit more careful with your shots and yeah not try to spam too much in order to hit them with the with the shots and run out of magic but there, there aren't really any good tips to give it's just yeah be be good with your menuing make sure that you actually hit them before you manage to the hammer and all that stuff if you're if you have low equipment and yeah you want to hit them the the ice head from the side but the hitbox for the fire rod shot is a bit worse then. So it, it's it's a tough balance to have. Yeah. I guess one other final thing to mention, just because it is related to fighting the boss, is uh, you do have some uh, door kind of safeties you can take beforehand uh, outside of the laser room. Um, you know, as you're making your way through Turtle Rock, you kind of have to make a decision of how comfortable you are with Trinex and if you're afraid that you might not be able to make it. Uh, it could be a good idea to go take that door so that if if and, if and when you die, you can come back through that and not have to go all the way through Turtle Rock again. Um, but that's up to everyone to kind of decide for themselves, I think. I've been getting more and more brazen with, like, skipping that. I used to pretty much always take it as a rule, and now it's kind of a game-time decision for me. But, nice. Yeah. All right. Okay. The last one we have to talk about here. <laughs> The last one, and and I've taken some really tough deaths in in the Challenge Cup to this guy. Uh, some expected, some unexpected, but I'm I'm really looking forward to learning more about how to take down the Guardian of Misery Mire, Vitreus, um, who has just so many ways to hurt you and such weird patterns and uh, such a long trek back to this boss if you die there. Um, just really, really a brutal situation all 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 around. So. Um, Error let's get into killing Vitreus, um, and let's start with the danger. So, of all the things around that can hurt you, um, talk a little bit about each one and maybe, you know, kind of prioritize damage if you would. Okay, so the thing you want to avoid the most are the little eyes. Those are the worst. 
they do four hearts of damage with green mill um it's it's the main reason why the fight is so difficult because the goo that's around the arena isn't that bad it's actually very beneficial for what we're trying to do in this fight um lightning forks are really not that bad as long as you're aware of them mm -hmm. and they have a pretty good visual cue and you should almost always be safe of them they, yeah, they can the main some... eye like comes out of the goo a little bit first right yeah exactly yeah so sometimes you can get baited and think that you like finished uh, finished all the eyeballs and it, it turns into its last phase, but it actually was just a little bit too late and it does another lightning before <laughs> popping out for real. Ouch! But again, it's it that always does two hearts and it's not too bad. <laughs> like you can usually tank that. It's just yeah. be be aware, be aware. It can happen. Mm. And yeah, the the big eye in the last phase also does four hearts of damage, but. In most scenarios, you usually don't have to worry too much about that. So, cool. yeah, the the fight itself, it's like if you have solid equipment, it should always be the same. But it is not the easiest fight to learn. It's like if you have enough experience with it, it's like yeah, sure, this fight is always the same. It's not it's not a big deal and. It's like when you get like worse and worse equipment, it turns into the worst fight in the game, and mm -hmm. that's it's pretty interesting. But sometimes even I just avoid fighting him, even if I cleared the dungeon and it's a crystal, because if I have fighter sword and hammer and no bow and nothing else, it's like yeah, no, I have I have better things to do. Oh, man, that makes me feel <laughs> so much better to hear you say that. It's like so validating. Because that's how was, I feel too. Yeah. I think there was this tournament match where Jem was versus someone, and he walked into Fitrius with Fighter Sword, and it was like expert mode or something. And he like he finished it. It did take him like five or six minutes. He did finish it. Oh. And it's like no, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> um, okay, so let, yeah, let's let's go through our items, I guess. So. Uh, the main thing you really want to have when you come in here is silvers and that that kind of trivializes it to a certain extent because yeah. um, you just take out each eye with one arrow per uh, and then the final uh, guy who bounces around you just shoot two into him and, and you're done so that's that's pretty easy but yeah. there is sort of a, a pattern and a rhythm to it do you want to try to explain that or would you rather just people kind of check out a resource um, I don't know I don't really have a pattern for, for the silvers fights I just kind of shoot I Anyway, I started blasting in, a, in that sense. <laughs> yeah. I think I start in the middle, go to the left, then go to the right. But it kind of depends on like which eyeball moves as well. So gotcha. sometimes you can like snipe an eyeball in the middle of its traje trajectory, <laughs> and then you'll be fine. But you do have to be like aware of it being able to still send an eye at you and maybe sniping you. And the lightning, of course, you know, if you're just like standing in the middle of the room trying to like angle your shots, you're going to get zapped at some point. Yeah, as long as you're fast enough, it should never be able to to zap you with silvers or tempered. So so you so it's it's uh, possible and I'm, I'm legitimately asking because I've never done it. It's possible to kill all the eyes before the first lightning happens. Yes. Oh, nice. That's cool. Uh, maybe I'll see that one day. <laughs> um, now, what if you don't have silvers and you just have a regular bow? Because then it takes three per, and that's going to be a little more time-consuming, right? Yeah. 
Okay, so let's assume you have either the gold sword or tempered sword here. So okay, there, okay. there's the setup that we use in the NMG fight to consistently get a zero cycle. So I wrote it down here. So, so what I have here is like I really recommend learning the damage boost strats, otherwise it's going to be a really long fight. Sure. So what you do is you move up. Um, does, can, can everyone maybe like get this fight in front of them? Does, does anyone have yeah. like a, a, a quick Yeah, we'll put a link in the, the description arena? of... Uh, yeah. yeah, we'll like queue up a video to a, a Vitreous fight uh, in yeah. an MG. Yeah. So if you look at the arena, you can kind of see like small diamonds made out of the the blocks of the of the ground. So this is what I'm going to use as a visual cue for what to do during the fight. So what I do first is I move up to like the small puddle of goo that's in front of Vitreous. Like it's kind of a lonely puddle right there. And as soon as I reach like I'm off top of that. I slash to the left, then I walk left two, <laughs> two of the the diamonds, and then I walk up two diamonds. And by that time, the spin is charged, and I release it. Then I move down one diamond, slash, move up left up to like there's a hole in the goo, where there's like clear ground. I move to that, and then walk to the right, and then as soon as I'm a bit on the left side of the eye. Of the big eye of Vitreous, like below that, that's when I release the spin again. Then I move down right, wait a little bit before the last slash. Then I slash, move right, up, left, and then release the spin. And then I do my cleanup with either tempered sword slashes, gold sword slashes, or the bow. And that's kind of how you want to do the NMG fight. And it will take you like four or five hearts of damage because it is a damage boost because you keep walking into the goo in order to avoid the damage from the the small eyes. eyes. Yeah. But it is a safe way, well, this is the safest way to do it fast <laughs> if yeah. you don't have either the cane or like the cane of uh, burnout or cape or or silvers. Okay, and this, so this is if you have gold or tempered, but not silvers. Yeah. Which is correct. pretty common, right? I mean, I think that probably is, you know, a lot of the time when you're coming in, that's, you probably have a similar setup to that. Yeah, with Master Sword okay. it's relatively similar, but you're gonna have to do more spins, so you'll just take more damage, and you have to be a bit more aware of the eyeballs that are RNG like aggroing. But with the with this setup, you'll if you do it properly, you'll never get hit by eyes. Dang. No that's, matter which one is aggroing on you. That's very cool. That's that's a uh, definitely worth checking out. So we'll put a link. We'll uh, we'll maybe like converse and and find a good you know fight that kind of illustrates what you're talking about and, and put a link to that time coded yeah. in the description. Awesome, that's very cool. Um, so let's say that you're not able to um, you know work this out uh, where you're you're doing the damage boost strats or whatever, and you've just kind of got to deal with these eyes coming at you and the lightning and you know the chaos of of just like the vanilla boss fight so to speak do you have any tips for just kind of like you know a placement around the room or how to do your slashes like a direction that's better to face another you know just kind of general advice for handling all of these eyes coming at you yeah so what you can do is if you um like hold your sword out and walk all the way to the to the top right mm -hmm. and start rhythmically um, slashing, you can kind of get a good rhythm going and have all the ice come towards you. It's called the, the Screevo safety corner. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't really have a lot of good experience with it, but 
apparently it's a good safe strat. You kind of stand between the two empty piles and uh, like keep slash, like horrifically slashing there. Because you don't want to spam your slash because at that point, like there will be iframes and they'll get through the sword slashes and stuff and they'll hit you. But this, now, this uh, Ari, I'm going to come clean with you. I, I have spammed slash in the corner before a few times out of desperation and my track record is actually pretty good with it. Okay, <laughs> it, well... <laughs> it, it, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm not recommending people do that, but uh, I was on my list to ask you about if, if that's, like, a thing or not. And now I guess what I'm hearing is it, not probably the greatest idea as opposed to what you're talking about, which sounds maybe a little safer, but a similar yeah. idea. Yeah. If you're not comfortable okay. with that, I recommend charging spins and mm -hmm. try to get a good couple of double spins in. Of course, it gets worse the worse your equipment gets. And it's going to be a very long, long drawn out fight. But yeah. yeah, don't like stand near the edges and be sure to like move up and down to make sure that the eyeballs aren't like all converging towards you. But if you like move up, get some eyeballs aggroing to you, then move down, then they'll they always go to the spot you were and not to where you are now. I think that's gotcha. a good thing to be aware of. Nice. Okay. Um, and then I guess real quick, um, we should talk about the second phase, the enraged phase, uh, where you've just got this giant eyeball bouncing around at you. It's very predictable in its movement. It's very easy to kind of, uh, you know, tell where it's going to go and where it's, you know, where you should be and all that. But you wanted to speak a little bit to, um, you know, how you do this quickly or things to keep in mind if you do maybe have like low percent items. Yeah, if you have anything like master sword or worse i would just try to get him into a corner and hammer him consistently and again it's a sort of a rhythm thing like you bob and weave hammer bob and weave hammer bob and weave hammer and gotcha. you have to do that like 16 times or whatever it's it's long but it does the job um yeah don't uh just try to keep focus it's so easy to lose focus and then lose rhythm and then get hit and from that onwards like if he's right on your butt it's really scary <laughs> yeah <laughs> for sure yeah but, um yeah i like to try to hit him down do you do you try to like uh control the way that you bounce him at all or, or is that not so much anymore yeah i also try to stay like a bit above him so he keeps getting knocked into the corner that's what i prefer doing okay yeah because you don't want to go up in the goo also and take damage up there yeah yeah exactly gotcha. Cool. Okay. Um, any final thoughts from the crew about uh, Vitreus, um, which will round out our bosses? Um, um, not really. I think I, you guys covered it pretty well. I would, yeah. If you have the cape, even if you have low magic, it's the same thing with Cold Stare. If you use it and spam your sword, it will get the job done. Like, as long as it's not Fighter Sword. Like, Master Sword, you just keep on spamming your sword and the. Uh, eyeballs will eventually all get into your trajectory and you'll be fine cool yeah if you're my my take is if you're really worried about phase one like if that's like the most nerve-wracking part for you i mean it is a free eight shots if you have a bow for phase two but if you use that safety corner that area was talking about you can kind of like have a sword buffer out so you're only moving up and down but you're facing left and you could fire arrows that way, as we yeah. Tim mentioned that it was three apiece. But you know, depending on what mode you're playing, uh, you may have found a if it's entrance, you may have found a um, the the upgrade fairy. And that's in when when I find that in entrance, sometimes that's when I'm thinking, all right, I'll, I'll I've got a lot of money, I'll 
I'll buy one thing. Oh, and yeah. sometimes sometimes that extra five to ten arrows will like bail you out. Yeah. So it's it's not something that you should always like say I'm gonna play the lowest percent that I can, you know, to save every fraction of a second, but uh, sometimes going that little extra time of potentially lo- what may look like wasting time saves you time in the long run. Because if you die to Vidi, it's quite a long walk back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and so there's nine eyes. So for three each, you'd have to be pretty much perfect to not run out of arrows if you've only got those 30. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's a good point. That's It could be good to stock up on arrows if if the situation allows for it, if you know you've got this fight coming up. Yeah, if you, um, if you don't miss an arrow, it's going to be 35 arrows for... Like all the eyes and the big eye, so that one up, one upgrade should be enough for that. Nice, yeah, and then the big eye. Um, cool. Okay, well, not only do I feel better equipped to take on some of these more difficult bosses, but I actually feel like motivated to go like do some boss practice, <laughs> uh, and, I, and I I hope everyone else does too. Um, it's it's been really really helpful to be able to. You know, get the rundown from from uh, someone as, as skilled as yourself, and be able to ask you know these a lot of dumb questions and stuff. Um, so we we really really have appreciated having you on for this two parter. The only guest to have a two parter, by the way. Interesting little so bit far of trivia. So far, <laughs> yeah, true enough. Um, so uh, any anyone have any final thoughts on bosses uh, or anything like that before we move on to fetch questions? And by the way, Ari, we'd love to have you on to uh, answer some of our our fetch questions that we have here. It would be a pleasure. Awesome. Um, cool. All right. You know, it'd be weird if you said no because we already recorded that. <laughs> I, was, you're I, like, was, no. I was thinking I'm, about it. <laughs> you're like, no, I'm I was out. thinking that. I was like, this will be really good. <laughs> <laughs> I almost wish you'd done that now. Cool. Okay. Well, we already know you did it. So uh, let's 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 hear it. Let's let's do some fetch questions. All right. So let's move into fetch questions. We have quite a few. We mentioned in the last episode that we were bumping a couple to this episode. So, of course, we're going to handle those uh, from Walther the Fourth and from Unikitty. And then we've got uh, some questions, as you've heard already in the show at least once, uh, questions that are kind of related to things we're already talking about. Um, we've, we've got one of those actually related to the puzzler. And then I did want to say up top uh, before we dive into these, there is one other question we got from Nereza. We're going to go ahead and bump that one to the next episode just because we have so many this week. Um, we'll look forward to addressing that question next time. And in the meantime, if you have fetch questions, go ahead and send them in and we'll take a look at those. But with that, let's start with the first one from Walter the Fourth. Uh, we've been hearing that name a lot in this episode. <laughs> Hello, Go Motors. I'm sorry to see Axial go, but at the same time, really hyped for the addition of Dancy to the host team. I wonder, how long did it take after you guys discovered LTTP Rando to start playing it? And how long after that before you guys tried out your first SRL seed? Keep up the great work, Walter the Fourth. So let's start with our guest. Um, from the time that you became aware of ALTTPR to the time that you first played it and then first raced it, how long was that period? Oof. Okay, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it was around july or august 2017 mm-hmm. that i started watching it and i watched like i 174 problems rl el megas and i think i did my first seas offline like in the end of october and i did like two weeks of practice before i did my first actual race in november okay um where did you watch it was it like twitch streams yeah yeah, yeah. only twitch streams so i didn't really watch any YouTube like files from tournaments or something. I didn't really know there were any tournaments going. I I knew the 
default tournament got announced like and i was thinking of joining it but i was so new at that point and i didn't actually play any seats yet that i didn't join the qualifiers back then and just kept on watching and uh yeah participating in chat before i really started playing myself because it was pretty daunting to get into yeah did yeah so talk about that did you how long was that did it take for you to be like oh yeah this is this is something i could do like i could wrap my brain around this because i think for some people it's like right away they dive in and other people could take years to get to that point um i think for me it was mostly just getting into like routing and being afraid of forgetting about stuff because <laughs> Uh, especially the first two seeds, I, I did use a map tracker, like the old um, cross-product one, I think. Mm -hmm. And even then, I had issues with, like, stuff being in Turtle Rock without having to fire out. It's like all those things that are so niche that you don't really find out that much when you watch others, and then it just happens to you, and it's like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> and that was what I was really afraid of as well, before I really started getting into the thick of things, because I, I'm a perfectionist and i really like to do things well before i actually start them and like have a lot of knowledge about them so i guess that's uh what caused me to wait so long before i actually start start playing sure yeah I, I i can definitely relate to that that can sometimes be paralyzing though you know if you wait until you're perfect with something before you or you know you're totally prepared before you try it instead of just kind of waiting in um yeah uh, okay, let's let's uh, let's move on to our friend Dante. Dante, uh, what what about you? How long was that gap there? <laughs> well, I uh, I don't remember when I learned of its, of like Rando's existence, but uh, I know I had like I said initially when, when we kind of discussed this a while back that I, I had a friend tell me about it and said you love that game, you would love this. And I mean, to be honest, like and just sum up like everything, I didn't have an interest because I knew it would. I don't know, absorb me or I would let it like, I would just take, uh, like it would take up all my time. And, um, I was kind of worried about that at the time for, you know, being a, like a big deal. But, uh, I put it off and I didn't really watch it. And, um, I actually played a seed before I watched anything, like actually sat down and watched it. Uh, you know, mm. uh, sometimes I'd have like an Andy stream on or something or someone else. And I wouldn't really know what was going on. It's like, why is there a different, why does Link look different? And, you know, I, I'd get lost, so I'd just cut it off, you know, or I'd be, like, yeah. doing housework. But, you know, um, I played it, and after playing it one time, I got hooked. Uh, that was February 2018. And, um, yeah, I, th I think my first actual SRL race was in August of 2018. But as soon as I started playing, I mean, I'd, I like to jump in the deep end. I was, you know, I knew I had a lot to learn, but I jumped in the spring tournament, and that was done on speed racing TV at the time. So I didn't really know SRL or Speedruns Live was a thing. And, you know, it was just a, a different website to, I guess, race on in my mind. So um, I, my first race, I guess, was in the, the spring tournament on speed racing TV, but the first SRL race was sometime in uh, August of 2018, trying to get prepped for that that uh summer qualifier that only had like eight people advanced to the bracket yeah <laughs> i remember that those. was right around when it started <laughs> yeah and i did those basically uh as prep for well if they're doing this same type of format for the fall tournament then maybe i can play spoiler for somebody and at the same time i can get used to the situation so i'm a little more comfortable with the setup uh the delay and all that and then yeah, it, it worked out. Uh, it was worth doing. Yeah, the first tournament is definitely so different from any other. No, oh, for sure. sure it was, yeah. 
first race nerves and everything like with the delay and setting up it's such a different feeling from just casual SRL races but the first first SRL race was pretty pretty nerve-wracking as well not gonna lie yeah yeah you're always looking for that dot done <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it still happens. Yeah, that like, never changes, I was going to say. Well, now, now I feel like once you've played enough, it's like you can... You're a little more educated on the scenario of when to expect it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I, Ten minutes into a speed racing TV thing in the spring tournament, if I made two mistakes, I'm like, you know what? He's probably about to finish. Like, I, I, my, my mental state was literally <laughs> all over the place when I first started. And you get, you obviously get more educated as you, uh, you know, go, go through and have more experience. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, Herf, what about you, man? Um, well, I'm going to try to keep it relatively short. I don't remember how or when I first heard about it. I think I stumbled upon it on Twitch just randomly. I think Willard J. Bradley was one of the first people that I just, you know, kind of stumbled upon and saw, hey, this, that's, I know this game, but that's not the game I know. What's happening here? And uh, I think it was around the time of V17 or V18. I remember the first tournament and watching it and it not having progressive items. So you were regularly finding like butter sword and mitts immediately five seconds after you started the seed or something like that. <laughs> Interesting. What what would happen if you got like master sword after butter sword? Would you revert or would it just no? Like it would never do downgrade. It, you, it would gotcha. always just upgrade you. So if you found butter sword in the beginning, the other three swords were essentially useless to you. Yeah. Gotcha. But yeah, uh, I mean, around that time, and uh, just kind of makes me feel old thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So I just went to my downloads folder because I just kind of just never cleaned that out and just let things sort of sit in there, and uh, checked out the uh, first ALTTP ALTTP RC that I downloaded, and it was um, November twenty seventh of twenty seventeen. And I, I want to say I started to watch uh, in the Something Awful forums in like the speedrunning thread, just kind of in a way sort of a good news feed for different interesting kind of community updates in speedrunning. Um, somebody, I don't even remember who, started posting things about um, these races and how they were really fun. Uh, might have even been SAGTG because um, I know he's part of that community too. Uh, and I just checked out a few of the links and thought it looked cool. And um, I worked from home at the time. I was like freelancer. And uh, so as I worked in my office, I would just like have one of those on. So that was, I believe, during the summer. And then I, apparently I played my first scene in November. So, yeah, about four or five months. Um, and a lot of it was um, just that I didn't really I, I didn't think I could probably go very fast. I knew it would take a long time. And my first seat did. Um, but a lot of it was just like learning the um you know, item locations and uh, getting a sense of like where things were before I finally decided to dive in. And I did not attempt to go fast in my first one. I played it very much like it was just like a regular game, you know, just like kind of wandering from place to place. So, um, but that's a, that's a very good question. Thank you, Walter of the Fourth, for that. Um, let's move on to the next one as I find the outline again. Okay, here we go. Finally, I've been looking forward to this. We are finally hearing from a Unikitty. Um, who writes in and says, Hey, GMB crew, I loved the new episode on trackers. As a non-player, I had no idea pretty much everyone was using map trackers. I just assumed everyone did all that mental arithmetic themselves. Honestly, that makes the game so much more approachable than I previously thought. Maybe 2020 will be the year I finally play an actual seed instead of just Z3RSim.com. Speaking of that, I assume the map trackers look a lot like 
the sim in simple mode from the descriptions, it sounds like that. Um, so let's break right there to comment. I actually, I have to admit, I haven't played Z3R Sim in, in a, a minute. Um, I think it was a really good tool to kind of learn the logic uh, and get, you know, to know where kind of items are. Have you guys checked it out recently? Not in a while. I remember Kyung bringing it like back online or updating it or something a while ago around the time of SG Live, maybe. Yeah. That's, that's really all I, I know. I'm going to do one today. I'm going to I'm going to resolve to do that. I'm going to do a Z3R sim today um, to check that out. But anyway, um, so here's the actual fetch question. She goes on to say, I know Timp made a minimum item seed. I actually never released that, <laughs> but um, I will. I will. Uh, so let's but uh, to, to kind of remind everyone, the minimum item seed was the lowest amount of items you could collect and still uh, theoretically beat the game. And I think it was like 17 is what we got to. Um, so getting back into her question. I'm wondering what a maximum item seed would look like. Is it possible to put a required item on every boss? How about required items in GT that you need to beat a pendant dungeon to get another required item to actually finish GT? I'm curious about what would be possible there. I'm not just thinking max trolliness, like making players beat Lanmo with only blue cane and bombs and no bottles. I saw that once and it was awful. More like requiring a full clear in a really artful way. Thanks for all the entertainment. Love, Unikitty. Well, first of all, Unikitty, thank you so much for the question. It's good to hear from you again. Um, and uh, let's talk a little bit about this max item seed. So if you kind of get an idea of what she's asking, um, what are, I mean, I, mean I, I think the short answer is this. Yes, it was, it was, would be very, very easy to do. You would basically just kind of fill most of the uh, chests in the world with whatever, but like the last few things would pretty much cap off uh, you know, every like the the last item that you need would be in the last place you can logically get to. Um, Dancy, this seems like something that you could piece together. You know, help <laughs> us try to kind of piece together through. What what are your thoughts here? Yeah, help help the me out. jobs to the new guy. I agree. Yeah, exactly. It's a loaded question, in my opinion. Um, I say that because you know, it's hard to not make it trolly, but I I kind of just think about like full-fledged plandos not like you know place a couple items have a match but like someone sits down and creates a thing uh and they place all the items manually like every single one so you know if you want the the, the safety thing is kind of another like monkey wrench you know if, if you want to say you have to collect all four bottles then you know obviously you'd have to get those that could add to your item count but if you don't want a bottle you know it, it makes your item count go down i can't think of a number and I mean I'm not very educated on this I guess but I can't think of a number that would be like guaranteed that this is the maximum number of items that you're gonna have but I could come up with an average you know potentially and I know for me most on average you know putting in the really jet seeds and the really long ones sometimes like an item collection rate at the end of it's around what one 140 150 you know give and take the the ups and down swings but I can't, <laughs> I mean, I honestly can't think of a number or a way to calculate this um, uh, unless you just want to say, like, all the main items in the game, too, and then we could calculate it that way, plus the keys. Well, here, here's a question. So there's there's one chest I can think of that I can't think of a reason to ever open it in a game of randomizer, which is the Ganon's Tower big chest. Sure. Can you think of anything that would buy, that, like, the seed would be required to, be, to have that in there? Do you know um, what I'm trying to say? Hookshot would be in there. Logically, you can do that. Can happen. It's very oh wow, very small chance, and that that would require you going full right side. 
you could technically get your first bow there with the second bow being yeah. up top. I've seen that actually happen. That happened to me in V28, actually, when I started out. I was like, where is this bow? And I was like, oh, yeah, this is a chest that we never see. Oh, my bow is here. Cool. And then you could also just have Master's or yeah, Master Sword and Pedestal, and then both the other swords on the tablets. That's true, yeah. So there, there's a few scenarios where the GT Big Chest really can come into play for prog actual progression in the game. Um, Fire Rod and Kane can be in there as well. Yep, that's true. I did have one uh, where, you know, not a Plando type thing, but something where it just happened. Uh, I was playing Retro Mode, which was my first mistake, but uh, afterwards it was... <clears throat> I had to get the mirror out of Ganon's Tower to... And, I, and this was before Mimic Clip was really found out or used in races. I didn't have a bow, uh, and that's kind of funny since it was Retro Mode, but we uh, I got the mirror inside of GT and then had to clear Swamp Palace for the Green Pendant, and then... Sahashrila had the bow. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> the other scenario, if you know, kind of going with my whole retro mode seed, I, I just mentioned, you know, there could be, a, well, they're progressive bows now, so it's not as important. But you know, there could be a scenario where you have the boots in the big chest, and then something's on the desert torch that you would need to get up through the tower. Look. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that stuff is maybe more prevalent in swordless or something. Yeah. yeah. You actually need the silvers. Um, so hopefully that sort of answers that. We there, there you it's definitely possible to explore the game in a in a like a pretty expansive way and have to get a lot of different things, but actually forcing you to get every single to check every single like all two hundred and sixteen Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I don't know if it actually would be possible. I think for as a as like a personal answer to Yuna Kitty for her question, uh, m requiring a full clear in a really artful artful way, I would personally say uh, someone needs to sit down and make like a super well thought out plan though to make that happen, and that has yet to happen. I'm sure it's possible. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone really has the patience or the brain capacity to do that. I certainly don't. But uh, hmm. I think it can be done, but it has not been done yet. Bit of a yeah, challenge I, there. I, I like agree it. There. I think most of the interesting plandos have like actual gameplay differences, like mm -hmm. the things that Witchrope make. Those are really interesting plandos because they like alter the way the game actually works. There was one where if you pick up anything that drops on the overworld or in a cave or something, you just die. <laughs> so, that, so that makes stuff like Paradox Cave and uh, Palace of Darkness uh, Hammer Bridge that makes those rooms really interesting because how do you deal with that? Because those are guaranteed things under pots. Mm -hmm. That's re that's really cool. I wasn't aware of those. We'll have to try to like take a deeper look into that one day. Maybe we can do like a feature. Or, or something yeah, like Wizrobe is a is a crazy person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm intrigued. Uh, <laughs> cool. Okay, uh, so that is, uh, I think that pretty much answers that question. Um, let's move on to a puzzler. Are you guys ready for a puzzler? Yay. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right. Um, so this one is from Cool Papa Bell 2282, uh, and they also consulted with uh, Glitchmaster Kern to make sure that, uh, you know, to have them kind of test it out and make sure this was, this was uh, true, and it has been uh, verified by Kern. So here it is. The Misery Mire key logic requires you to get either a small or big key in the first two checks. 
in addition to the one under the pot in the spike room. Why is that? Does anybody want to start by sussing this out, talking it out, take a crack at it? Duh. I refuse to answer key logic questions. Oh, no. <laughs> Dancy, how's your key logic? Well, uh, I'll, I'll word it this way. Uh, I had a friend ask me, that, did I open chests in Meyer in a specific way because I knew the key logic? And I just said, no, nah, I was just opening chests. So uh, <laughs> that day I learned something about key logic. But I'm trying to think, um, I can't, I honestly can't think of why. Uh, so these potential hints that I hear are a thing. I, I might need one of those, but we could we could pass it along. <laughs> <laughs> we do have hints available. I do like I do vaguely remember some talk about it in another Discord. I think Ari might know more about this than I do. Uh, th that mm -hmm. if the keys are placed or if things are placed in a specific way, it means there has to be the small or the big key has to be there in a certain place in Misery Mire. Something weird along those lines. I'm definitely not very good with key logic, I have to admit. Okay, Ari, what do you think? Uh, well, it's really easy to key lock yourself out of mire if uh, if there wouldn't be a small or big key in the first two checks. And it's even I think it's even the case that if there's only the big key in the first two checks, that Vitreus has to drop a small key. I think... Uh, or yeah. there has to be one in the big chest. It's something like that. But like you need to be able to have enough keys to open the door to to the west side where the where the fire lock chests are, because there's another barrier with a small key and and all that stuff. Yeah. So and it is. It's basically an anti soft lock measure that they did that. I think the implication is that you could, uh, you know, like. If you just had normal kind of key logic, the way that it's worked out for something like, I don't know, Desert or, uh, you know, one, a simpler dungeon, um, then it would be possible to have other items in that mix there. But as an anti-softlock measure, the devs made it so that there has to be a big key uh, or a small key in those first two, like they say. Um, so uh, the hint that they give is that uh, listeners who have done their homework could softlock themselves otherwise, which I think is... I mean, that seemed kind of, you know, we, we pretty much deduced that. Um, now, the answer that they give, do you guys want to hear? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm All ready. Right. <laughs> in Misery Mire, there can be both a small key and the big key in the chest of the left side of Mire. So if that is the key layout, you clear Mire normally, but use keys on every door except the last one before the torch slash tile room. So you open both doors that lead up to the fish bones, the door to the vanilla map chest, and the door to the jelly slash conveyor slash switch room. You've now found five keys, two in chests, and three from pots slash enemies, and spent four. Then you hover to the basement and waste your last key on the rupee room in the lower right. Then the big key and the last small key are stuck behind the small key door leading into the torch room. What was um, that about hovering? Yeah, I mean, if you're starting <laughs> to hover somewhere, then sure, you're going to key lock yourself. That's kind of, you know. Well, that's the but, thing. I, the one thing I do know about key logic is that it is built in a way that will always account for you making the dumbest play, whether it be mm -hmm. a sequence break or not. So that's <laughs> that's basically how you build the key, how they built the key logic. And I don't know if that means I'm if they're really smart or I'm. I don't know because I, I can't think that way sometimes, <laughs> you know. And it, it took a while for me to grasp the concept of the key logic in the front of pod. 
Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, once you, once you finally, like, something, you know, resonates and clicks, like, Meyer's the same way with if the left side key, or the left side chest, the torch chest, if you will, um, if that one has a small key, it's guaranteed that the, the drop down is, van- like, the vanilla big key is there. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it doesn't work the other way around. You could get a map in there or a compass on that first left side chest and still get the big key in the basement. But yeah. it doesn't mean it's guaranteed to be somewhere else or there. It's just that there's one indicator that's like a one-way street. Uh, that's that's the only thing I really know about Meyer. But I never even... It's funny because I hardly ever think about that rupee room that you can get to yeah. with, with the keys. It shows how much so, bingo I've played. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw someone open that room in a vanilla playthrough lately. I was like... Wow, <laughs> I didn't realize like, that was a lot. You're, op- you're open. You're opening up all the wrong rooms, and you're complaining about keys. <laughs> this is so unlucky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is interesting. A couple days ago, we actually got an email that I'm going to read real quick um, from the missing link who we've heard of before, who says, uh, "Goodbye from Australia." As a note, I don't know if this is a good question for the podcast, but I've been scratching my head over this, and I wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy or missing something before bringing this up to someone like Vitor. I've been studying the key logic for Misery Meyer, and something seems amiss. The generator is supposed to prevent soft locks, no matter how you spend your small keys. However, it seems that this is a valid seed for Misery Meyer. Big key chest is in big key and like vanilla. Compass chest is small key. Main lobby is small key. Spike room chest is small key. However, in my mind, one could do the following actions and soft lock themselves. Collect the two keys in spike room. Open up the locked door leading to the map chest. Open up the useless door at the end of the spike hallway. And then run out of keys. My hunch is that this means it's impossible to get the chest in the main lobby. Am I missing something? Is there another way that I haven't thought of to get that extra key? Uh, And then once again, thank you so much for the excellent podcast. You guys are great and a great listening to my uh, commute to work. Um, so cheers to the missing link. Um, I, I just thought it was interesting that we had these two misery Meyer kind of questions. Um, but I think his question, if I'm not mistaken, is cleared up by what, um, cool Papa Bell was saying of there has to be, uh, either the big key or small key in those first two checks. So, so it's not actually possible to, to, to lay it out the way that they proposed. I think so, yeah. I, I have to admit, I have a really hard time visualizing the Misery Meyer layout from just I hearing the room name. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, how does this fit together? But There's so many doors that you just never go to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Did we come to a satisfying conclusion on this? I don't know. I do believe that his question was answered by what cool the the puzzler from Cool Papa Bell. But if we did not answer the question and misunderstood what you meant, please feel free to ask again or clarify the question. Yeah, and they get, uh, they get to find it out. Exactly, and we we've, we've got a crew in Discord that'll jump on this right away and and sort it all out, um, which we appreciate. Um, all right, and then the last thing I had to do is set the. This is not necessarily a correction that needs to be made of something we said, but a correction to the 50k seed data. Um, speaking of, you know, corrections in our Discord, there was, uh, they kind of, you know, uh, pieced out that it, they thought, they also thought it was strange that Skullwoods had as much weight as it did at the beginning. So they kind of dug into the way that the analytics were compiled and they basically sort of figured out um, why it was that way. And it turns out that it's not actually. Um, it's it's it, when you compile it in in like a new way that you know kind of counts for 
these inconsistencies. They've they've got a more sort of accurate uh, account of everything. So I'm not going to go through all of that right now, um, but I will uh, put a link in the description of this episode, and we can uh, you can click on that and read through the summary. That was um, Cool Papa Bell who was working on that, as well as uh, Pretty Wrong and um, Espion and, and some others in our Discord. So thanks to you guys for staying vigilant. If you are um, you know, a stats geek and, and you want to get even more into that, then uh, check out that link. But um, uh, cheers to you guys for um, you know, all your hard work and digging into that kind of stuff. Cool. All right. Moving on. Uh, Dante, you had an idea for a community event, um, and we're going to have some links in the description to further uh, explain that. But if you want to briefly kind of tell us what you had in mind and uh, what, what the event is that you're putting together. Yeah, so we're looking to try and do something for the Go Mode podcast listeners. Just We've got a little break in time from the tournament kind of wrapping up. You know, A lot of people in the Challenge Cup or the main tournament are either out or near the end. Uh, as well as we have the league coming up. So I thought it might be fun for people who, like me, can't get enough rando uh, or enough link to the past in general to do something in kind of in a community way, less competitive, more just hang out. So we're going to do a mystery multi-world. And with that, the reason I say mystery is because instead of everybody having like a normal open 7-7 seed, we could have you have something random or we can have you have something as easy or as hard as you want. And, uh, yeah, if you know what a multi-world is, we won't get into that too deeply, but, you know, all the seeds are intertwined, whether it be five people or 15, everyone can find items for other players, and uh, I thought it'd be fun to do that, so we're going to have a form uh, for you guys to fill out, and there are some kind of preset mystery weights you can pick, and if you have questions, feel free to ask in the newly created channel that is going to launch with this episode, and we'll just try to put everything in that channel of the discord uh just to kind of keep everything corralled into one place and we'll field the questions as best we can but if you're interested in doing it uh and you already know what it is and you're ready to roll you can sign up with the uh the form and vote on what days you'd like this to be on we were kind of giving two or like two or three different options or two different weekends and uh yeah we'll see hopefully we get a good turnout for it yeah yeah i think that'll be really cool and i really like that uh everyone can set their own mystery weights and um I don't know how this can possibly work, how so many people can have, uh, you know, be playing together at the same time with all of these different settings set together. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, but yeah, I think it's really cool that kind of people from any skill level, you know, people who are really good can turn on the really brutal, you know, uh, mystery seed weights and, you know, have, have something really interesting and tough to play. And then folks who are newer to the game can just keep it simple and, and we can all kind of play and have fun together. So awesome. Uh, so like uh, like you said, we'll have that info in the description. So check that out. Uh, real quick, biweekly seed. Uh, the last week, episode thirty nine, Herf generated a mystery seed for us. Um, I'm just going to be brutally honest with you. I didn't play it because everyone said it sucked so bad. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I wish I could could have been there with you, but um, I don't. Maybe this is maybe the, maybe I need to just like buck up or whatever. But if someone <laughs> says the seed is bad, I don't want to play that seed. You know, like if I if I'm playing and I find out while I'm playing, then like sure, that's one thing. It, it happens. But if someone says, "Oh man, this," seed, it's like someone being like, "Oh man, this smells terrible. Eat it." You know, like I'm <laughs> yeah. not gonna do that. <laughs> I guess so. That. You know, so I didn't play it. I heard it sucked. Do you do you want to talk about? Nancy, you played it, right? Do you want to talk about? I played it. I forfeited it. I felt oh really God. dumb. Uh, so the the TLDR that got me and it got a lot of people. There was a very interesting 
fully in logic bunny walk you had to do and you basically had to mirror to the K45 spot because it was intra- it was entrance rando uh, but it was not cross it wasn't cross world it was just full shuffle i believe so you know, the connectors were staying like the light world connectors were still light world it didn't take you to dark world that's kind of that main difference of the cross and uh, you had to mirror to K45, which was Meyer, and I kept thinking that wasn't in logic for some reason, but yet I sequence broke every other, you know, crystal dungeon that I could gain access to, and then when I forfeited, they were like, yo, the Moon Pearls and Pendant Meyer, you should have done that. And I'm like, oh yeah, kind of dumb, but it was, it was a mess. It was a hot mess, so congrats to people. I I saw a lot of really good times on it, and, um... Yeah, I, that one that one stumped me. I learned something new every time trying to understand entrance logic. Like I've said before, it's for me entrance logic can be pretty tough to for my uh, like for me to wrap my head around. Yeah. Wow, that's bonkers. Herf, what did you have to go and do that for, man? Uh, I regret nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I have um, to say to that. So, uh, Sir Linkalot generated. Uh, we just did like a casual mystery earlier this week, and it was extremely pleasant it was uh it was like a five seed uh, you just had to collect five crystals and it was fast cannon um just like so forgiving so many safeties at the beginning so uh we are going to give you a plan though for the next one in which we're going to put crystals on desert palace tower of hera skull woods ice palace misery mire and, Tur- and turtle rock so that's going to be pretty tough guarantee but we want you to take a crack at these bosses that we were just talking about um, and I think I'm going to have Sir Link a lot generate it because he <laughs> has a much better track record than the three of us. So um, I'll reach out to him, have him generate um, that plando for us, and uh, that'll be our week 40 biweekly seed. Um, okay, so with that, let's. I, I want to speed through this wrap up stuff uh, until we get to Aries shout outs, and then I'll give him some time. But where uh, you can email us, email at gomodepodcast.com. You can join our Discord. You can find us on Twitter, gomodepodcast. Uh, we got a contact form on our website. It's never been easier to get in touch with us. There's tons of ways to do it. Um, the website's got them all, uh, so just check that out. Um, Dante, where can people watch you play? Twitch.tv slash Dante, D3A's NTY. Yes, very good. Herf, same question. Twitch.tv slash Herfy Durfy. Mine is twitch.tv slash temp underscore. All right, now let's slow it down a little bit. Error uh, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Do you have anything you'd like to plug, like your Twitch or Twitter or uh, you know YouTube, anything like that, where folks can uh, watch you play or, or follow you? Well, I'm mostly active on Twitch, so that would be twitch.tv slash ps because apparently area was already taken from distant TV times. <laughs> oh, yeah. Great stuff. Uh, yeah, otherwise, uh, I sometimes tweet on just area.twitter.com. Um yeah, I would just like to thank you guys for having me, and it's been it's been a great time. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for being with us. It's, it's been a pleasure. Um, well, with that, I believe it's time for us to all look at our own magical bunny-like reflections in our own personal mirrors. So hold them up high in front of your face, and let's mirror out. Mirror out.